0: Numerous times throughout the uh, history of Israel, there were crises of leadership. And remember that after Moses, the leadership that God had given to him as priest, prophet, and king was, was split. It was fractured. The, the Israelites desired to have a king like all the other nations. So the Lord allowed this and, and split this function that had resided in Moses and gave them a king of course, gave them priests and also sent them prophets, would continue to send them prophets. And not surprisingly, the kings and the priests became unfaithful many, many different times throughout the history of Israel. And then the Lord would send prophets to remind them that they were to be faithful to the Lord's covenant, that they had gone astray. And these prophets were generally mistreated because, you know, nobody likes to hear how wrong they are. Especially if you're in power, you don't want some prophet coming to you and telling you how wrong you are and that God is going to punish you. You've got to get rid of that guy. It's a national security issue. He's going to incite the people against you. And so this is what happened. The religious leaders and, and the political leaders in Israel would persecute and sometimes kill the prophets. They didn't want to hear what they had to say. And so, as we hear in the first reading, what the Lord would allow to happen is he would allow the Israelites to fall into ruin from time to time. Because that's all that would bring them back. It was the only thing that could bring them back. Sometimes, it's only great suffering that can bring a person back. You know, people who have been through... uh, Through a 12-step program, we'll speak of this. And they'll say it was only at the point at which they hit rock bottom that they saw the light. That the moment of grace was rock bottom. That was the moment when they allowed the Lord Jesus to truly save them and come into their lives. For many uh, decades... The decline of Western civilization has been predicted and many of us who have studied cultural history have seen it coming but you know one of the um, one of the prophets from the late 19th century who saw this and was was soundly mocked for many many years uh, was Friedrich Nietzsche you know his famous line right God is dead, and we are his executioners. Then people started selling T-shirts that said, uh, "You know, God is dead." Nietzsche, Nietzsche is dead. God. Two quotes there, right? <laughs> but uh, and that, you know that's a funny, funny kind of story. But it it also clearly misunderstands what Nietzsche was saying. What Nietzsche was saying is that essentially, civilization had done away with the influence of God and Christianity, had finally been liberated, and it would only be a matter of time until they realized it. And once civilization realized it, then all of this oppressiveness from Christian morals and what he viewed as, uh, what he views, viewed as a sort of superstition would be thrown off and society, Western civilization, would then truly be able to embrace a secularism and a godlessness, which they ought to because he believed in that. But he said it was inevitable. And he wasn't the only one. Many others, Aldous Huxley, Brave New World, wasn't just a dystopian writing, but he truly believed that the future that was in store for Western civilization was found in many of the concepts in his book. C.S. Lewis, The Abolition of Man, we're in the 1940s or so. And I don't think that it is hard to see the crumbling of Christian culture. In fact, I've been saying now for many years that the culture war is over and we have lost. It is over. The death of the West has come and gone, and we are merely seeing the end of it. The hedge that the, the Lord has, has allowed to die is dying. And if you can't see that, I, you know, you, you may just see me as some sort of, uh, you know, reactionary or something. But I believe that I could probably prove it, but it would take a little bit longer than a Sunday homily. Although I think you can see it with your own eyes. And one of the, one of the things that we, we find in a dying culture is the death of authority. The abuse of authority, the death of authority, the, the inability for people to truly trust authority, religious and political. And this has been going on for years and years and years. You know, certainly, those of you who remember the 60s, which I'm, I was told that if you remember the 60s, you weren't there. <laughs> I was born in 71, so, you know, I wasn't there. But the revolutions that came then, and then all of the, all of the uh, politicians who fell, all of the public figures who were exposed as being corrupt, but that has continued. What, you know, what political or religious figures have not been in some way exposed as being corrupt at this point? You know, as Catholics, if we can't trust our bishops to protect our children, how can we trust their teaching on doctrine? It's incompatible. If we can't trust our politicians to tell the truth, we can't trust our media to tell the truth, where do you turn? You all have an opinion because you'll tell me, well, this channel is the truth. And then the other half will say this channel is the truth. But if you really look at it, there's there's sort of a post-truth situation we're in that nobody really knows who to believe. You go to the universities and university professors are not leading students to truth most especially through asking them to inquire rigorously and to ask questions university professors are now more concerned with indoctrination with teaching students the way they ought to think and what they ought to believe and this trickles down into high schools and pressure is put upon Public school teachers, even at the grade school level, I remember reading some some teachers who were um, lamenting, you know, video conferencing, homeschooling. And they said, what are we going to do when the parents find out what we're teaching their children? You probably saw some of these news reports. What are we going to do when they find out what we're actually teaching them? If they listen in, they're gonna disagree with us. They're not gonna support us. Now that's not some, of course, that's not every schoolteacher. Some schoolteachers are fighting the good fight and they see right through all that stuff and they find a way around it. But the pressure is there in just about every element of our society. And what is the pressure? Is it the indoctrination into a secular view of reality, of morality, of the nation, etc. A nation without God, a society without God, life without God. This is the goal of the secularists. And much of the tension that we see right now in our culture is, is that very tension of people who are trying to hold on to reality with God and those who see God as a, an incredible inconvenience that needs to be extinguished. So what are we to do? I was was thinking about this in between football games. Actually, every commercial. Every commercial is political. Holy cow. Flipping stations, trying to get away from the politics, you know. There's got to be another game on, and there is. But no, thinking about it, what do we do? Where do all these people come from? Where do the people come from who are... Wayward who who believe that we should be a society with God, who believe that uh, things like abortion, killing unborn babies can be a good thing, where do these people come from? They come from families We all come from families <laughs> imperfect families but families and if there's going to be any kind of Sustaining of Christian identity, of Catholic identity, if there's, if there's going to be people who, tr- who continue to seek the truth and are courageous in doing so, it has to start with our families. It has to start, parents, with the culture you create in your family. It has to start here in the parish family with the culture that we create of supporting each other, to be courageous, supporting your teenagers to be courageous, to go into that classroom, to give them the questions to ask, and to support them in the midst of that. I would, I would fill my, my nieces and nephews, well, I still got a little niece, but the older two, I'm like, just call me and I will give you questions to ask your teachers. No, Uncle John. We're not going they're going to know it's you. <laughs> so just contact me, and I'll give you the questions that for your kids to ask. But support them, teenagers. Learn who to trust. Ask questions. I would have, if I couldn't have asked questions, I would have been kicked out of the seminary. It's absolutely true, because I was so frustrating to the teachers. It's true, because, and, and one of the ways that I realized this is when I started having students that were just like me, I realized that God was getting me back. <laughs> you were the one who said to ask questions, here we go. Teenagers, university students, ask questions. Don't settle for what you're told. Ask questions of the faith, of me. I guarantee that I can withstand just about any scrutiny about the faith. I have an answer. It may not satisfy you, but I have an answer. I have a rationale. Parents, one of the things we're doing here at the parish is changing the way we, we have religious education. See, what happened after Vatican II is um, the church, with good intention, said we've got to find a way. To educate our kids in the faith because, you know, we we want to do away with sort of the Baltimore catechism method so we want to try something else. And so they did and what happened is the church sort of began having uh, sort of what we might call professional catechists. And these are good people who love the kids and want to hand on the faith to the kids. But an unintended side effect was that now parents were outsourcing their responsibility to raise their children Catholic to other people. And I guarantee, as good as even our catechists have been, your kids will rarely remember what they learned in a catechism class. But they will remember if dad made sure we got to church on Sunday. They will remember if mom and dad insisted we pray before meals. They will remember the culture that you create in your house. And that foundation that you build will stay with them forever. The most important people, and we know this, the most important people in children's lives are their parents. And then also their grandparents. Handing on the faith is your responsibility. I still remember... uh, my grandmother on my mother's side, the Italian side, but she was part Polish. And she never made Polish food because my grandpa was Italian. That's why. (laughs) But anyway, she had a, a, you know, a bust of Pope John Paul II in her house because she just loved the Pope because he was Polish. But she loved him, you know, for all kinds of... A lot of people really like John Paul II, of course. I, I very much loved him. But, um, but you know how I learned to love him? It was from my grandmother. And that has always stuck with me. I cannot remember a class that I've taken. And I have taken so many theology classes in my life. I have the degrees to show you years and years and years of Catholic school. <laughs> I don't remember a class that taught me to love the Holy Father, not because he's perfect, but because he's the representative of Christ here on Earth. We love the Holy Father not because we necessarily even agree with everything, but he's our pope. He's our Holy Father. And I just grew up with that understanding. Parents, what you do with your children is more crucial than any class you send them to. And so one of the, what we're changing with our RE program is you are the primary catechists of your children. You will be the ones who will sit with them every week. And I'm asking you to do very simple things. Read about Jesus and talk about him. Parents, if you can't share with your kids why Jesus matters to you, How could Jesus ever matter to them? Fathers, you need to share your heart. You need to share your heart and be vulnerable. Talk about why Jesus matters to you. Talk about how you look to Jesus when you're you're confused. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to lead your family. You don't know how to be a good husband or father. And mothers the same. Don't be afraid of this. This is the most important thing you will ever do. You see, the Lord has entrusted you with authority. And He wants a return. He's expecting a return. And He wants you to win your children over to Him. You will do it much better than I could ever do it, or any other person could ever do it. Do not be afraid of just sharing the very basics of what Jesus Christ matters to you. And here in this parish, we're going to continue to create this culture of openness to anybody who wants to join us, but pursuit of the truth in a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when we go out there It's so hard to find. When we go out there, it's so hard just to to even say, "I'm I'm a Christian, I'm a Catholic, at work, at school. The pressure is great. But in here, we are not going to be ashamed. We shouldn't be out there either, but we will not be ashamed here. We will be proud of our Catholic faith. Warts and all, mistakes and all, Because we are pursuing salvation. We are pursuing Jesus Christ. We're trying to deepen our relationship with him. And we know that we desire that transformation. And it is ours for the taking. I dare say for the receiving. Because the Lord gives it to us for free.